the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For all those sports fans looking for basically anything, made to Z, check out theathletic.com slash spot track, S P O T R A C. Get 40% off that first year subscription. Download the app, personalize it, tell them what you love. It's ad free exclusive content at your fingertips. That's theathletic.com slash spot track. My name is Mike Giannetti. LeBron James is a very rich man. <laughs> Just got a little bit more rich. Two years, $91 million. It's going to extend in Los Angeles, but it's a one plus one, which means, as Keith Smith told us it would be, there's a player option in the second year of that extension. So LeBron is signed this year at $44 million. He is signed next year at $46 million. Then he's a $50 million player option in 2024, which aligns with maybe his son coming in from college, obviously aligns with him playing you know, his, the final couple of years of his career, wherever the hell he wants. It's money in the bank. It's power. It's control. It's everything LeBron's always had in terms of his contract structure. And it just uh, keeps on rolling. He's 38, 37 and change, about to be 38. He can't be traded now until February 17th, the trade deadline. So he's not leaving Los Angeles anytime soon, despite the, uh, the he said, she said rumors. Russell Westbrook, different conversation, but it sounds like LeBron, at least for half of the season, is locked in. And from a financial perspective, I tweeted this out. I'll say it out loud as well. This means, you know, over the next three seasons, if this contract is played out, and there's a good chance it is, $529 million earned in his career. Not bad. That's just on the court. That's not Space Jam. That's not Pizza Places. That's not Liverpool. That's just on the court. So he's, uh, he's done well for himself. They've been basically max extensions all the way through with the exception of a couple. And this is no different. Another one plus one for LeBron. The Lakers get some security. The trade rumors have to stop for eight months or so. And then, you know, when the Lakers are a 500 team, they can ramp right back up. But for now, we talked about how this was a maybe, him doing this early. He did it early. So we can get this out of our system right now and get back to where's Kyrie going and Kevin Durant going and Russell Westbrook ending up and are the Pacers going to trade their pieces and blah, blah, blah. You know how it works. Never a dull moment in the NBA and the NBA money is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So two years, 91 million. That back end is a player option. LeBron is locked in from a trade perspective until February 17th. Let's talk some baseball with Cousin Dan. All right, Dan, we've been collaborating on a new piece for SpotTrack.com. Probably going to post it tomorrow morning, Thursday morning, depending on when you're listening to this. The, the topic du jour is the next young contracts to be signed in Major League Baseball. Could be a prospect who hasn't hit yet. Could be a player who's on the 40-man currently. Could be somebody who's actually been in the major leagues for a few years and is just primed for a new deal. And you put together a nice list. I kind of expanded on it a little bit. We talked about a couple of teams that generally do this kind of thing. One of them was the Atlanta Braves. And, you know, right on cue last night in the middle of our discussions, they extend Michael Harris, their stud center fielder, to an eight-year, $72 million extension. Just your thoughts. I know this one kind of, sh- you know, shook you a little bit, kind of threw you off. Um, yeah, I was mostly thrown off by the fact that they have so much of their core already locked up. Um, it doesn't necessarily shock me from the investment in the player itself. He's hit the ground running. He has great makeup by all accounts. He's Mm -hmm. a hometown Atlanta, Atlanta guy. So like the fact, those factors aren't really surprising to me. I was surprised by the fact that, um, when you kind of zoom out and look at this roster, they have so much of it locked up that. On, on one hand, that's an excellent thing to have, but on the other hand, it also leaves you very few outs to make moves in future years. So, um, mm-hmm. granted, the the guys they have locked up are all incredible. It's a great core. It's probably the best in baseball. It's set up for them to be a potential dynasty for, you know, the next half decade potentially. Um, but well, yeah, let's talk, I, I, let's mean, talk I, about I have no that problem core. with the signing itself. Yeah, let's talk about that core. I guess let's talk about the signed core because you can, we'll go another step in a second here and actually talk about all the youth that they have in terms of the, the homegrown talent. But just these contracts, right? It's Acuna Jr. through 2028 now. It's Matt Olson through 2030. 
It's Austin Riley through 2033, Ozzy Elbies through 2027, and now Harris through 2032. And basically all those deals include really nice club options at the back end. So there is some, you know, a little bit of out factor if they need it to be. But those five guys combined for all these years, from next year through whatever I just said, you know, respectively, is about $500 million. So, you know, one Mike Trout contract, give or take, is now a five-person arsenal for the Atlanta Braves. Is that just to be expected with this organization now? Is that just sort of how things are going to work for this Anthopolis-run system, Dan? Yeah, I mean, the the deals they got are really, really incredible. Really, the Ozuna deal is the only one that might not um, look so great at at the end of it. But um, it certainly sets them up to make major moves um, going going down the stretch here. Like they're, they're not going to be looking to, um, you know, they're, they're going to look to make impact moves and there's not a lot of impact um, uh, you can make on a roster this move, uh, this good, unless you're really targeting the. So I think you're saying without saying uh, the same thing that, that strikes me when I see that list is none of those players pitch. Right. And you and I talk about this all the time that if you're going to pay for something, it should be pitching first. So why are they doing this backwards? Is is it as simple as they've developed, they've drafted and developed for the most part, these players, Matt Olson is obviously a different animal here, but these, these guys just came up the system. They, they were selected by this organization. They are good enough to last for five to eight years, which is what the contracts say they are. And they're going to going to look elsewhere for their pitching. They're going to identify free agents. They're going to identify trade pieces, which they can certainly do now. And, that's how they're going to build their, their starting pitching, which by the way, they've already started to do. Is that just how it's going to work, Dan? Or do you think there's, are there names in the, in the farm system that I'm not thinking about right now that are going to graduate over the next two to three years and, uh, and kind of really round out this core? No, I think, um, like, I think Spencer Strider, Tucker, um, Mm -hmm. Tucker Davidson is a separate guy, but, um, Kyle Wright, Spencer Strider are two of the big names um, that we were kind of waiting on. Um, Mike Soroka, et cetera. They, they have a nice core there, Max Freed, all the, sure. all those guys. But um, I, I, I guess, yeah. let me ask that then. Is it enough already? I mean, cause you didn't even mention Ian Anderson, who's kind of going through the, the minor league system again, but uh, they've got six guys. Is that, is that enough? Yeah, there's just, I, I, they're missing like the, the stud anchor yeah. ace piece, in my opinion. I, I think you agree there. Um, they, they have a nice core of pitchers as well. They're just kind of missing that elite upside. So as um, some of these guys get closer to free agency, um, higher arbitration numbers, you could, you could potentially see them move on or look to upgrade, um, you know, in future years with like a potential Jake DeGrom or Carlos Rodon, somebody who might come available in this upcoming offseason. Yeah. It is going to be a saucy free agency. If the opt-outs happen that we think are going to happen, which so they, they could essentially get that ACE in the next five months. (laughs) <laughs> whether it's the ground, whether it's a Verlander for, for two years. And by the way, that's all they're thinking about. They're not thinking about a 10 year ACE here. They're thinking about somebody to win again here. They, they obviously just did it, you know, a year ago. How can they win again in the next two to three years? And then they'll figure it out again. How can we win again in the next two to three years? That's how this operation is working. And by locking in these position players to these, what look like strong value contracts, they can overpay now for that one free agent every couple of years. Right. They can, they have the, a bit of a bevel now to go out there and say, oh, well, if this guy's worth 20, we'll throw 25 or 26 at him over a two-year basis just to get him in the door because the, he's the one piece to our puzzle. It's just smart business. But I want right, to focus... Kind of, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, the kind, they've really narrowed it down to, you yeah. know, you can attack starting pitching, the bullpen, you really have one outfield spot, a catcher spot potentially. Um, I mean, it, but y- you probably are looking at Wilson Contreras as a long-term fit mm-hmm. there. So really you're just looking to attack the pitching side and um, with the value of these deals, they haven't overpaid at all. Like you said, um, they have a ton of flexibility in the direction they can go there. Well, um, you knew how comfortable they felt when they acquired Roger Iglesias at the deadline, because a, a, yes, he's an upgrade to Kenley Jansen health from a health and an age standpoint, but B that guy's got term left. I think there's three years left in that contract. So he is part of this plot process. Now he is the guy for the next two to three years to be the back end of that bullpen. If, and when they can get that ACE to really push them to the forwards. But, but my point is, and we talked about this last time you and I spoke, Dan, 
you don't go and get that back-end bullpen closer guy unless you are extremely comfortable with how things look on your roster. It's the reason the Baltimore Orioles traded theirs. They have more work to do. They're not ready for that guy yet. So to me, that was the biggest tell, that they're going out and buying closers at the deadline, and now this extension is just exhibit, you know, H, that they feel really good about themselves over the next few seasons. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the Iglesias move we talked about, it was one of my favorite of the deadline. They set themselves up with insurance for Jansen there, um, or they have one, you know, really one of the premier closers in the game for next year and, and beyond. And and that's really one thing you don't, you when you have a roster constructed like this, you don't want the, the soft spot to be on the back end with the closer. You, that, that's something that all teams are constantly looking for is that elite um, back, back end of the game guy. Um, so for them to have two options this year as insurance and then have Iglesias locked in, um, you know, with this core going forward, it, like I said, they have a ton of, ton of directions they can go, um, moving forward. I, I want to so. talk about two of the contracts before we kind of build it out a little bit more. The Acuna junior contract was signed, geez, three years ago now, my goodness, over three years ago now. So it's twelve and a half million per year on average. It's eight for a hundred plus another thirty-four in club options. So let's just call it one hundred and thirty-four million for all intents, right? Um, twelve and a half million for for this player who really is just now starting to see that cash. He's he's finally gotten into his final year of arbitration here in, in terms of his career standpoint, and he'll start to see seventeen million a year from here out for the next six years left on this contract. Austin Riley got almost double this. Is that just a product of where the game is now and the world is now three years later? Or is Austin Riley that much better of a player? And if I have to throw a hot take in here, should Acuna Jr. be a little pissed off right now with what he did? Um, well, yeah, I think the Riley contract is definitely more of a state of the game. Um, I guess I should bring position into this too. Does third base just pay better? Um, this was definitely a, I don't know how I want to say it. Cause I know, I know we're always like hesitant to, to crush any players for taking the, you know, life changing money early in their career when they're unproven. Go ahead and speak to it because you're a Cleveland guy. Your guys do this all the time and there's a back and forth to it. And now Atlanta is just doing kind of like a steroid version of that, right? They, they've got six guys on contracts that are maybe half of what free agency would have paid them. So go ahead and, and tell me, you know, you know, should, should Acuna feel, feel a little bit bad about what he did? He's 24 years old right now. So essentially he would be a couple years away from, from that free agent contract. Right. So, I mean, the long and short of it is no, I right. mean, he has a hundred million dollars. Okay. That, that's like the, the elephant in the room here, right? Where I, it, the fact of the matter though, is these early, career contracts almost always benefit the team. There's very few examples of um, guys getting these, you know, like zero service deals um, like Scott Kingery or somebody like that, where it didn't work out. And even still, when you zoom out and look at that deal, they didn't even pay him all that much money in the scheme of things. So, you know, the potential EV of, uh, for, for a team and an organization signing a player of his, you know, pedigree and talent level, um, to this kind of deal early on the on, in a, early in his mm-hmm. career, it's very low risk for the team. Um, so I don't really think he should be pissed about it. Um, but I mean, we see this, we see this, we've seen this recently come up with Fernando Tatis Jr. Um, like Michael Harris, people are already talking about potential, you know, value that he left on the table by the end of his career, which could be very accurate. But at the same time, the guy has four months of, yeah, four months of really great play, but he cashed that into seventy plus there's, million dollars. So, there's a I lot mean, of reasons to love what Harris just did. A, a center fielder money is just going into the tank. It, it's just one of those positions that's going to get churned over and over. We're seeing good center fielders literally sitting at home until July right now. It's just kind of the nature of the beast. Um, he's hot. He he's coming out of the gates blazing. He he's a he's kind of you know the marketability of him right now could not be higher. If somebody offers you 72 million, you say yes. Same thing with Acuna in 100. I'm never going to crush him for that. I guess my, my only thought to, to extrapolate on here is why, why, is, why did Riley get so much more? Is, it, is, he, is he just going to be the centerpiece? Because he's being paid right now to be the centerpiece 
where I think a lot of team, maybe even a lot of fans in Atlanta would would look to Acuna Jr. to be that player. So, so how is the money so different, so vastly different between those two guys in this roster? Uh, good question. I guess I'd have to look into it a little bit more positionally to see where he compares. Um, yeah. I mean, the numbers though, he's only 25 years old and he's, he's an MVP. He's yeah. pretty clearly got, you know, 40 plus <laughs> yeah. 45 home run potential pretty easily. He's going to be hard of the order, um, guy there. He's actually been better on defense. I think than what they pro- projected. They, a lot of people thought he was going to have to stick in the outfield long-term. I know they, stuck him there in the beginning when he broke into the league. Cause they didn't really have a spot for him, but um, yeah, he's, he's, he's developed as uh, probably actually better than anticipated. I don't have an issue with it. I, I can't specifically say why it's so much more than these other ones. I don't think the, See, I can, the, I, can. I just wanted to know your opinion. I, I can give you the, the, the nerd take on this, which is a, he was already in arbitration when this signed, right? <laughs> so, so they got Acuna junior in pre-arbitration. So they had some leeway to backload this thing a little bit. And make the first three years extremely friendly, which they did. And that's how all these things are working, right? That's how Tatis Jr.'s contract's working, and et cetera, et cetera. So whenever you're in arbitration, A, you're going to have a, a higher starting point. But B, you also have to, you have to sweeten the pot more just to get them to do it. Because now they can smell free agency. You know, now, that, now they've got to really decide, why would I do this right now when my agent's telling me the same thing? Why would we do this right now when we're 18 months away from, from being completely free and having 29 other bidders? So... There's that, but also if you just look at the Braves' contracts by average salary, ranked you know by the by the highest, all Riley did is barely surpass Matt Olson. That's all he did here. Matt Olson got his contract via the trade from Oakland. He got 21 million on the dot per year. Austin Riley, they they, they it was clear that making him the highest average paid player on this team was important to both sides, and that's exactly what happened here. So I, that's the nerd take here. But when I look at 21.2 versus 12.5 between these two players, that's, that's a little bit puzzling to me. It's, you know, I, I do think Acuna Jr. took a little bit too, too, you know, a little bit too good of a deal here from, from the Braves' perspective. When it got to free agency in that contract, he should be making $20 million a year. I think there's no question about that because, yes, Riley's a 40-plus, 100-plus guy, but is, isn't Acuna? And can't you add 25 stolen bases with Acuna as well <laughs> every year? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, he's more five tool than Riley is. Riley's going to be more consistent. I like, I, th- I think he's going to win an MVP, but it's a big gap for a 10 year contract, which is what it is for Acuna Jr. That's my only point here. I'm not going to knock it. Uh, last question on the Braves and then we'll get to some other players. I mentioned Cleveland's been doing this for forever. I mean, the, the Kluber contracts, the Jose Ramirez contracts, et cetera, et cetera. That's what these look like maybe a little bit lesser because Cleveland's a smaller market. Now Atlanta's done it. And Atlanta's done it successfully now in, for two generations. They did this with Freddie Freeman's first contract and a couple of guys in that, in that generation. And now this entire new World Series winning generation has basically locked themselves in with the exception of Dansby, Dansby Swanson. Why isn't this a trend? Tell me why 15 to, to 16 other teams in the league just won't be doing this. Well, it, the, are they just so, not good enough at their jobs, Dan? You know what I mean? Uh, it takes of, exceptional yeah. drafting to do this. First of all, you have to believe right. that five or six year draft picks over a three year span can do, can hit, you know? Right. There's a couple, there's definitely a couple layers to it. I mean, first and foremost, yes. I think the broadest answer to your question is that more teams should be doing this or trying to do this rather than chasing, um, you know, the dragon with free agency, if you will. Yeah. Um, Texas Rangers. Yeah. I I mean, so like, let's separate these two situations. Atlanta is a way bigger market. Um, Mm -hmm. they don't necessarily need to be doing this in order to survive. They can compete with some of the the bigger teams, bigger spenders. Um, a team like Cleveland does it out of necessity largely. Um, and it's, and they sort of try to create little windows. Like Atlanta is better positioned, um, to like that like if cleveland did this these would be their moves and they would try and supplement the rest of the roster with little finesse moves whereas atlanta has set themselves up where the there's such good value they've rounded out so many positions here that they can really shoot for the moon on future you know whether that's an mm-hmm. otani or a jake de or a trade we're not even 
that's not, remotely not even on the map for anyone right now that we're not even in consideration. So, um, first of all, it's, yeah, it's two separate situations. Atlanta, Cleveland does it more out of necessity. Um, certainly Houston did it. Yeah. Houston did it. Um, I'm trying to think of some other teams like, like, uh, like Tampa did it with Franco. You, you don't see it like wide ranging where they'd go like try and attack it with a bunch of different signings simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is definitely a unique situation. Um, that, that's, I, I that's mean, probably I, the I, answer I was going to get to too is I just don't know that you can say we're going to do what they're doing because you have to have six guys that you drafted that kind of grew up together to get to this situation, right? It's just kind of an anomaly. And, and, and by the way, they probably planned for this just like Houston did. There's an entire, you know, sports illustrated edition <laughs> based on what Houston did. Uh, but this is what everybody's trying to do. It's just way easier said than done. For sure. And when it, when it misses, it misses big and you're, you're toast for a couple of years, you know, like, um, like I, we keep referencing Cleveland, Cleveland did this originally before, um, going into like the, probably what was it? 2013, 2014 prepping for the 2016 world series run where they, uh, they locked up Jason Kipnis. They traded for Jan Gomes and extended him. Um, Oh, you're on the tangent. Do it. Keep going. Keep going on Cleveland, man. So, but but on the flip side of this, then they tried to do it with Francisco Lindor. They approached him early in his career with a pretty sizable contract, something probably similar to this Acuna deal. And he turned it down, betting on himself that he could parlay that into a big contract, which we all know how that ended up. And he did, right? So, like, you know, and then not to, like, go off on another tangent here, but Michael Conforto, there's another separation mm-hmm. where he could have just grabbed $21 million with – um you know, by signing a, a, a contract tender and he passed on it. And then now a few months later, like he may never even sniff a hundred million dollar contract again. So um, there's so many different avenues and that's why we're not ne- like, I'm personally never going to fall players for grabbing life-changing money early on in their career when they, especially when they have little or no service time, but we can't say um, it enough because if free agency is con- going to continue to deteriorate, like we believe it will, for all of these reasons, A, the trade has become more powerful. B, early extensions are, are taking over and they're working. They're, being, they're successful. So I, I do think this will be the norm. And you're right. If somebody walks in and says, you might get 250 in four years if you wait this thing out. But I'm going to give you 125 right now. Right now. Literally on the dotted line. You know what I mean? And, and yeah. you, with the, the inconsistencies of Major League Baseball careers, and the, you know, honestly, for many guys, it's three or four years and out. You just have to take that and deal with it. And like you said, if Michael Harris doesn't work out in four years, they're still going to be fine. They didn't kill themselves here with a nine million per year contract. They didn't. So th- this is this is what part of my friends. This is kind of what pisses me off with this though. Is that I want to see all of the guys make eighty million dollars, and that's where that's where there's an issue with this mindset that I personally have like an internal conflict with. This is that. The 1%, the, it's not even 1%, it's 0.001% of major leaguers who have the opportunity to sign a, you know, a hundred plus million dollar contract are so small right. um, that I'd rather see that number come down and teams be more willing to pay guys these kind of contracts where these guys are earning. Like your only hope of getting a major contract aside from one of these deals is like a big free agent contract. So I'd rather see I, I mean, I, not to make this about labor negotiations, but we would rather see a world <laughs> where there's more Michael Harris contracts and less, I mean, Corey Seager contracts, right? Where like, yeah. yeah, yeah. So like stop with the 300 million and pay more guys a hundred million or whatever you want to do. But I, I'm sorry. That's All right, smooth transition. something different. I, I have, <laughs> I have I, what I believe is the next team to do this. It, they haven't started yet, in my opinion. I don't think they have one single contract on the roster that I love. Maybe there's one. I guess it's questionable. Uh, you know from the prospect end of this probably which team I'm referring to here. I think they're loaded, especially in the outfield, which is similar to what we're talking about here with Atlanta. The, the pitchers probably are a year, a couple of away from actually becoming ETAs to, to Major League Baseball. They're still behind in that regard. Um, they have the top prospect in baseball, in my opinion, in Corbin Carroll. I think Arizona, Dan, is the next team to at least attempt this. And they're going to be signing guys before they ever hit, in my opinion. I think, I think Carroll gets an offer. I think Alec Thomas gets an offer. I think they've got legitimate talent 
that could fill out the position players of this roster and their one through nine lineup with these kind of contracts, with the eight for 80s, with the six for 50s. I do think that Arizona's on the cusp, but I believe I'm talking about a team, you know, that's 10, 10 games under 500 right now and in fourth place in their division, in a monster division, by the way. But am I incorrect in assessing them this way, or do you think that they are shooting for the stars that they can never reach? No, I, I mostly agree with that. Um, I think they're going to get into a little bit of a log jam here in the outfield, and they're going to have to decide what they want to do and how they handle that. But um, well, You trade for like, pitchers, I, man. You trade for pitchers. Yeah. Yeah. So, but that's going to be the tricky thing is identifying who they want to move on from. Um, Dalton Varsho is under team control for a number of years. He's shown, I, I don't think you want him catching full time, but he's shown the ability to catch and play outfield, which is like the rarest combination in baseball, I think. But um, regardless, then you have Alec Thomas, who's already had a nice start to his rookie year. Yeah. Um, Corbin Carroll, who was not a super highly rated prospect, um, you know, at the beginning of his career, but has really ascended. Um, and kind of turn himself into a bona fide uh, top, uh, sorry, five tool prospect. And, uh, you know, the top, like you said, the top prospect in baseball. And then you have Drew Jones, who, to, um, who's yeah. going to be a couple of years behind them, but on a, on a similar trajectory. And of, of that group, I think he would be the least likely to sign like a, a zero service or a early extension type of yeah, deal. But he could, I think he could he, be on a Tatis Jr. path. He could get here, completely blow up, he could be marketable, and then bang, right? Yeah, I could see it. Um, I could also see him just buying his time for three years and then cashing out in arbitration. And mm. see, I, I don't know. I just got his his father, you know, had earned him. He just has the tools to me yeah. to earn a massive free agent deal at some point in his career. I know I'm like projecting way down the line, but he's just a tools guy. Um, the pedigree's there, the name value's there. I think he's a guy who would chase um, mm -hmm. a bigger deal. So laying all that out, I think Corbin Carroll is a is like a really good um, yeah. option for this. He's a like I said, he's not like uh, he's never he was never like a bona fide top end prospect until uh, more recently. So he could want to kind of cash in while he can on his uh, ascending value there. So yeah, no question. I think there's going to be some noise coming out of Arizona over the winter slash spring training when a few of these kids, I think can probably make the roster out of the gate and then we'll get these kind of contracts. The white Sox have already done this and successfully, by the way, that's, that's a team that I think we were, we were kind of reaching for in our last conversation, which is a team that has kind of put their eggs into six or seven baskets and injuries and, for, and whatever has just not gotten that team to the top, bad, bad pitching decisions, right? I mean, that's an example of this going wrong, but I think Arizona is going to give it a try next. Give me some names around the league, whether prospects or, or guys who are just kind of getting to the Major League Baseball system and at least are showing enough to get on this radar for an early extension. Um, so I, I don't really love it for pitching pitchers a lot. I kind of have a hard time getting just, it's just a personal hurdle getting myself there. Um, I think... Yeah, we, we did a little of, piece here. I don't have a single pitcher on this list. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's massive value to be had there knowing how much um, pitchers go for. But I think a lot of teams are um, kind of smartening up to just kind of like using pitchers while they're elite in their younger ages and then trying to just, um, mm -hmm. you know, keep keep turning that over without having to commit anything, um, you know, having to commit any more than one or two, um, decent free agent contracts. Um, so like young guys on the radar that I think, um, could maybe have this happen. Riley green in Detroit. Um, he hasn't exactly blown the doors off his major league debut here, but he's looked the part. Um, I think the next regime, yeah, GM. Uh, yeah the next regime here will, will want to kind of identify a cornerstone to build around now he's not specifically quote unquote their player but this isn't the nfl either so it's not really as pertinent but um i think riley green is like one of those guys center fielder five tool player um could be the cornerstone of a franchise yeah, it could be guy. in that so, carol conversation right i mean i mean there there's going to be some carnage happening in detroit though this was a disaster they put a lot of eggs into this basket in terms of Javi Baez and, and certainly AJ Hinch and things like that. And Eduardo Rodriguez got a big contract, barely ever pitched for him. They do have kids, right? Scooble, Torkelson. There's some, there's some, a decent Casey Mize, Matt Manning, but there's a lot of 
you know, lack of productivity out of these guys as well. I assume these guys are going to be on the trade block this winter, Dan, whenever a GM is announced in Detroit. Don't you believe some some of these players are going to be dangled? Yeah, I think, I mean, I sort of think it's, how do I want to say this? Because the Baez and Rodriguez contracts are sort of like the elephant in the room on this, but I think it's actually a good time. Even though we anticipated a step forward, I personally like them as kind of a breakout team this year. Um, Things have really fallen flat on their face and, with the move to get rid of move on from Alavila, I think it might be a good time to try and sort of reset um, and like build around a couple cornerstones, like I mentioned. So maybe Riley Green and Torkelson, um, you pair that. You have one more year, Miguel Cabrera. It sounds like he's going to ride that contract out. (laughs) Um, Javi Baez, um, the Rodriguez contract. I mean, Rodriguez, if he comes back, it sounds like he could come back as soon as uh, this week. He, I mean, he can still give you value there. It was just a really bad star. Um, but regardless, I'm getting sidetracked. The The Tigers um, could make some moves to kind of retool. But I think like the timeline needs to be reset a little bit because they have they're so far behind in pitching. They just don't have pitchers, guys they counted on. Um, like you had mentioned, Matt Manning, Casey Mize. They were they were young high school draft picks, which always come with a ton of risk. Um, they, they didn't work out. Uh, I, I don't want to write them off yet. They're just not the, the high end pitcher we thought they could be. So um, to be determined on if those are going to work out, but they're just arms that are being counted on um, and they don't have other uh, guys to fall back on. So as it is, they sort of need to reset and I'm not really sure the best way to, uh, I to have a feeling forward. the Tigers and the Rangers are going to be talking quite a bit this winter. Because very different scenarios, right? I mean, the Texas Rangers are now pot committed. And just they can't get there. This roster can't get there. Obviously, they fired the manager and the president of baseball operations. They're going to be looking for a quick retool, and it's and a quick and inexpensive retool. And generally, that means going out and getting some some prospects who are maybe trending downward instead of upward. And that could be exactly what Detroit's looking to get to do and getting rid of some of these guys who may not be working out how they wanted to. So. Those are two teams I identify as kind of uh, interesting this offseason. Let's go to a more slam dunk situation. Tell me when Julio Rodriguez gets his contract because it's going to happen. It's going to have to happen. Seattle can't get this guy in the house and just let it ride out for six years, right? That's just not the the way they operate there. Yeah, I agree. I I think that, yeah, that he might be one of the the closer ones. You had mentioned Corbin Carroll, but... um, maybe maybe this one would come first because we've already seen the debut of Rodriguez. He's hit the ground running fan favorite. There's yeah. totally the kind of guy you build, um, build around. So, um, does Tatis, yeah, does the Tatis junior stuff, you know, cause pause a little bit or do you just look at that and say, whatever. Um, cause they're yeah. very similar. I mean, extremely similar players in how they entered the league in their production if, if we're talking about contract projections, it's almost identical for what Rodriguez could get. Uh, I don't want to, I mean, I think every team needs to do due diligence and mm-hmm. be hesitant for any, I mean, we talked about it when the Tatis deal happened was that there is risk in that he, it was coming off of a very short amount of time. He had chronic, chronic issue, you know, health issues that we were identified. So, um, I mean, and the only reason they bring the, it up is because Rodriguez has now had a couple of injury issues as well in his first season. It's not like it's not there. So, right. And I'm not saying he's using steroids. What I'm saying is when you get these kind of injuries and they start to pile up, that's when guys start to go to recovery stuff. That's just happens. How do I, I got to get back in the field. I need to get back on the field right now. It's not about getting jacked like McGuire anymore. It's about recovery. So there is some similarity in how these guys have kind of progressed to the major league level. Yeah, for sure. So I, I think he could definitely be a guy who um, earns, you know, he, he might want to lock in an early career contract too. So yeah, possible. Okay. A couple of major league baseball experienced guys, and then we'll get out of here. You brought Kyle Tucker into this conversation and I love it because we've talked about the Astros a lot. They were kind of one of the first teams to go this route in terms of locking up six, seven guys that they love to market value <laughs> contracts. What happens with Kyle Tucker here? Because he's, he's headed towards that free agency. You can smell it at this point. He's been the guy behind the guy in that organization for a bunch of years. 
Uh, last year, he got a chance to break out, and now with George Springer gone, he officially gets the chance to break out, and he's on pace for 30-90, and back-to-back 30-90s, probably even more this year. He's one of the guys, if not, you know, if not one, the guy ahead of Altuve and Bregman in that lineup. Do they have to keep him, or do you believe that the plan was always to ride him to the end, align it with the Bregman contract, and that's just going to be the end of the Houston Astros run that we know it, and they're going to reset the whole thing over because that's just what those organizations do. I think, I I personally think he's a guy they'll try and build around going into the next window, but um, just to lay it all out, they have Altuve, Bregman, Alvarez now locked up right. um, for the next three seasons, um, and Kyle Tucker's, team control would end at the same time or the year after similar timeline. So um, what Mike's trying to say is whether they just ride it out for the next three years, try and win as many world mm-hmm. series, and then kind of let Kyle Tucker go on to his next team as they reset the whole thing. Um, but I actually think the whole reset thing with the Astros was like a one-time thing. And now they have been so good with drafting and player development um, and, and trades, especially they've made so many good trades that they don't need to really ever tear it down again. In my opinion, I think they can just kind of keep retooling um, in, in, in smaller timelines. So to me, Tucker with, with no really like long, long-term money on the books, um, you know, beyond those three guys, there, there's nothing there. I, I think Tucker could be a guy where they try and extend to like maybe a seven year deal that gets him into like, you know, three years past that window. Um, take some of the arbitration, like his arbitration numbers are going to be, are going to be big. Right. Yeah, so, big. um, so if you can kind of cut some of that out, um, while getting beyond, uh, into his free agent years, a couple, uh, a little bit and, um, locking him up into like a, a new, like build around so, window. I kind of like that. So let's talk though, because it's not like that they've kept all nine guys together for eight years here. That's not what this has been. There has been some, some in and out. Uh, Correa gone, and they had a replacement for him. He's been good, not great. We mentioned Springer. Springer gone. Those are two guys that wanted $30 million contracts. Correa got his. Springer got 25. Uh, If I tell you right now that Kyle Tucker's a $30 million player, mathematically speaking, what does that say? Are the Houston Astros eventually going to cave and do that? Because right now, the high bar is Verlander on a two-year deal and Altuve on a 23 and change in terms of the AAV. So Tucker would become essentially the highest average paid player on the Astros, which sounds like you'd be okay with if he's the cornerstone going forward. But Houston's basically said no to these contracts and let them ride out and let them get the free agency and let them get paid elsewhere. So is he going to have to play ball here and do an Austin Riley type contract? Because that's what Alvarez just did, right? 19 and change a year on his extension. Yeah, it's a fair question. Um, with Correa and Springer specifically, it feels like they, like what you alluded to earlier, they just got to a point where they got into arbitration and too close to free agency that yep. um, it was almost destined that they were going to leave. Um, that's why I, I think I think we're going to know here soon, right? If Tucker gets locked up in the next two, I, I don't even know, year and a half, may, maybe not even two years. Yeah, I think this winter could be discussions for sure. Yeah. And beyond that though, he might be similar and say, why, why am I going to look at a contract when I'm a year away from, you know, maybe, you know, $250 million or something like that. Um, I, it's a fair question though. I, I like the, the Bregman deal I remember was like a shockingly good value when yeah. it was signed. Um, the Altuve one was not so much. I, I think it was sort of an extension. Um, if I, I don't have it in front of me. Yeah, here, he's, but... he's done two deals in his iteration now. I, I mean, the Bregman deal was the Acuna Jr. deal, basically for a hundred with options. And, and right, I, I had the same reaction when both were signed. So to me, to me, there's there's one silver lining for Houston. Well, there's two. A, the way that you framed Kyle Tucker is probably exactly how the Astros front office is framing Kyle Tucker, which is you're the next guy, you're the next it guy on this on this team. We want to lock you in. We're going to have to, sh- you know, shave a little bit off here to make that happen. We'll, we'll put some, some incentives and things like that so that when you're third in MV- AL MVP, you'll get an extra 500 grand. You know how they do their business. But also, this is not a Boris client. 
not yet, I should say. And <laughs> they've struggled with Borov's clients, you know, and, and they basically don't take BS from him. So that's positive. If you're a Houston fan thinking this is a guy for the next six years, that's at least a positive development, right? So I agree with you. Uh, there's a chance, but I'm telling you he's worth 30 right now on paper. And I'm telling you, they're not going to pay him 30. That's just, that's just me looking at this organization and piggybacking off this Braves discussion because I think they're very similar conversation. Yeah, that's, that's super fair. I, I will, one more point I'll kind of bring back to, to uh, in Tucker's favor. They like essentially groomed him yeah. for this in a way, like years before he made his de- debut. Um, people in prospect circles were like beating the drum. Why aren't you like there were needs in the outfield? Um, why aren't you bringing up Kyle Tucker? He's sitting right there, and they didn't. They didn't. They never did. They were. It was like one of the more patient examples of handling a prospect I've maybe ever seen. So whether that was like truly they didn't believe he was ready, whether that was a little bit like we want to let this marinate and extend your window a little bit further. Come on, you know what this is. That's a they were they were staggering their service time situation for this exact situation. Right. But that's what conflicts me is like are you grooming him? Like like by all accounts, a lot of it was like we want to put the finishing touches on this prospect and not just get him rush him as quick as possible. So are were they grooming him as a we are you are our guy and we are going to pay you or were they just trying to extend him into a next window and then won't want to pay him 30 million dollars as he approaches 30 right so he was like a little bit of an older prospect when he broke in here he will approach free agency as he's a little bit older there so i I, i'm not totally set on which avenue i believe it is i do think it's one of those two um but like i i lean towards they're going to pay him but it would have to happen sooner than later it's not going to be like a we're eight months out of free agency and we want to lock you up now. Here's a big payday. You know, it's going to be a little bit of a, yeah. If I can circle this conversation back to where we started, cause it's, it just popped into my head. I, I, I bet the Austin Riley contract was the greatest news ever for Houston because aren't they very similar? They, to me, they project with the same power numbers. They've got very similar, you know, MVP candidacy uh, likelihood. They're going to look a lot like the same on paper over the next five years, in my opinion. And they're both going to have the same kind of impact for their team. Uh, so if, if 21 and change a year got Austin Riley done for 10 years, why would Houston offer anything more? They won't, right. in my opinion. That, that's right. the contract. Take it or leave it. That's it. So I, I think where we started is where we have to finish here with very similar situations and very organizations that have tried to, I think, mar- mimic each other over the past decade or so. All right, man. Anything else? What's the big contract we don't see coming? Outside of Judge, and you know, you know where all that's going. But uh, um, anybody who's kind of been percolating in your message boards and whatnot, I know you uh, you love to get dirty on Reddit every now and then with this baseball stuff. No, I I don't know about a contract. I think the Cardinals are primed to make yeah. a big move here at some point. Um, yeah, that's a Correa destination or Otani destination, right? Yeah, um, the Padres the like are so spent i don't even know what to think about them but um yeah i i would look at the cardinals as like the next team to to make a big big splash and and that would be a team like if they if they went out and made an impact trade this off season or and by the way they can you know, because they've got like four top third baseman prospects i mean they're just right. loaded with with guys that can become cornerstone infielders for some team you know Right. They have a number of high end guys so they can flip it or turn it over a little bit. But that that's a destination where they surprise us with a, whoa, we didn't know that guy was available. <laughs> and then they lock him up to a long term deal. That's yeah. that that's a team that I look for to make a big splash like that here in the coming. Uh, I don't know. Let's call it six months or, you know, up until the offseason. All right. Last real quick. Last thing. Boston, who could be the exact opposite of what we just mentioned. Right. They could sell everybody. They may be the Cardinals you know, you know, seller selling team dealer at this point, they may be looking at Bogars. They may be looking at Devers. Do they have to just rip it up at this point? Or, or can they simplify it to the point of where if Bogart's going to walk, he's going to walk. If Avaldi's going to walk, he's going to walk, but we have Devers who may not want to sign at this point. It may be a bet situation, but do they just offer Devers a ridiculous Lindor type contract and say, we have to do this for us because otherwise we are at ground zero. 
Yeah, man, this is one of the more perplexing things. Like, I think they've backed themselves in, in a short amount of time, they've backed themselves into a corner where, like, almost similar to the judge situation where we say in, in New York here, where, like, at the end of the season, yeah. like, they're in a no-win situation. They're either going to have to pay him, and it's going to probably look like a bad contract at the end of it, or they're going to let him walk, and the fans are going to be pissed about it, right? Yeah. I feel like the the Red Sox are in a sort of similar situation, but on the other end where they've been so bad. And if they let Bogarts and now Devers go, um, like without signing them, that it's just going to have, like you let all these bona fide superstars walk. And, and, but on the flip side of it, they're not good. So like yeah. if you did sign, if you did, let's just say they did identify Devers as the guy and said, let's pay him. They, everything around them sucks in my opinion. So what are you what are you doing? That's like a that's just an aesthetic move. Please don't hate us fans here. We we paid for the one guy you really love. And I'm saying this loving Rafi Devers. And if he was on oh. my team, I would not want him out the door at all. But like from a team building perspective, the smart plan is to not pay those guys, try and get what you can for them and try and rebuild this thing because like they're they're just pandering in the in the rotation, in the bullpen. They're, like they're young guys. Jared Duran is screaming at people in center field. They can't get Jeter Downs on the field. Like they, there's just so many pieces here where it's like, what, what are they doing here? Like Alex Verdugo is a nice baseball player, but like as the return for Mookie Betts and the expectations that comes with, like, I feel sorry for the guy, quite honestly, like he gets ragged on, like he's a terrible player. He's a good solid ball player, but he's not a superstar. I, I don't, I just don't know what they're doing. They're, they're uh, kind bloom is operating like he's still in Tampa Bay, but with the payroll of a large market team. And I understand if they said, we don't want to commit money to Mookie bats, or we don't want to do this, but he, it just seems like they're constantly turning it over there. And, and I have no idea what the direction is. Like they're not any better for any of it. I mean, and, and I, I know I'm, I realize I'm saying this like only two weeks after most of us were like, wow, they are actually probably a wild card team, but like I don't, no. it was a pretenders, right? They they weren't no. like legit threats to go anywhere, in my opinion. Other than if like you just happen to get the pitching staff pitching out of their minds all at the same time, and you know the offense was healthy, but they're well, the it's problem, falling off a cliff. You, you mentioned so. the Verdugo stuff and the down stuff and, and Mookie Betts, and I, there's no way anybody there's over that yet. I mean, that's got to be one of the worst days in Red Sox fandom history. Devers is entering the final year of arbitration. This is the exact spot that Mookie Betts was in. And teams just wouldn't budge. The Dodgers gave them what they thought was fair value for an expiring contract that they had to go $400 million, you know, added on to. That's what's happening here with Devers. If, if they shop Devers this winter, it's going to be the exact same recipe. Yeah, you can have this guy, but you're also going to have to pay him $350 million, right? You're going to have to top probably Lindor's contract. Because he's that damn good, and he's 25 years old. So I, I, I don't know what Boston fans are thinking here outside of, we just got to keep this guy. To, to me, you, you, you laughed at saving face and trying to keep fans you know, in order. I, I think for the betterment of this franchise, which is not Tampa Bay, as you laid out, this is not that kind of place. You can't operate that way and, and survive in Boston. From a fan perspective, from an owner perspective, they're just not going to handle it that way. So you can shed some salary in losing Martinez and maybe Bogarts and, and some players we've talked about, but you can't go to the bottom. You can't have a 25th payroll in Boston and get away with it. Even if the point is the tank, you can't do that there. So I think they're going to have to expend, extend this guy. And Dan, I'm th I think it's too late. I don't think that Rafael Devers says yes at this point. Do you? Why, um, why would he, if he sees five of his guy, the guys in the locker room around him leaving, why would he say yes? Yeah. yeah if Bogarts were to stay, maybe I'd feel differently. Like he would see a direction or something, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm just too doom and gloom on them and, no. and it's actually better than it, the situation is, but it's just, they haven't really like, they have almost no pitching in the pipeline right now, or at least not like a glut where we're like excited about it. Right. You have a couple nice arms, but, right. um, beyond that, it's just like, what's, what's the timeline and what are they doing here? And I, I don't, I don't know how they piece it all together without sort of tearing it down. But I, I do agree with you that it's just not like a, we're going to we're gonna it. rip it to the studs kind of situation. Yeah. So, but, but like, what were, what were their deadline moves? They got Hosmer. I know that was like an offshoot of the, the Soto deal, but 
then you like go and acquire Tommy Pham. Like, I, I, yeah, I, know. I, I just I, none of it made any sense to me. I mean, they have a top 10 farm system, according to Fangraphs right now, 10th. And that's par- partially because of the Hosmer move, by the way. They, they, they added some decent prospects along with taking on, you know, basically nothing for Hosman salary wise. Are, are they just going to have to go and do the biggest, stupidest move ever? You know, are, are they in the Otani stuff? Is that how you fix this with just the biggest overreach ever? Or do you think that they're going to be more playable? Because you're right. This is, a, this is a Tampa Bay mindset now, at least to some degree. I, I, I think it's absolutely fascinating. One of the most fascinating things I'm following in all the sports that I'm covering, Dan. <laughs> because, like I said, yeah. I, I can't even imagine this team being 26th in payroll ever, 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 ever. But it feels like they're trending there. It feels like that's what they want to do for a couple of years in order for you know, the brilliant minds in that front office to be able to handle every decision. They don't want to have any, any carryover, any baggage. They want to be able to have their say on every single person there. And they're throwing away some damn good talent. Let's just put it that way. So if that's the case, maybe you're right. Maybe Bogart stays, Dever locks in, and Devers locks in, and then they go from there and they try to fix the pitching. But there's, that's certainly not what I'm reading out loud right now. Right. All right, man. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with you. Um, I, I don't know how how they kind of piece it all together or move forward i mean like i said i don't even know like i like bogarts i like devers i don't even know if it's the right move at this point though like <laughs> you know like their prospects like they have tristan cassis a first baseman to kind of replace bobby Dahlbeck, who's been a, a tire fire there but like beyond that a lot of their guys are low a you know a couple years out i i just reset it right but Re- reset it somehow we'll we'll see somehow. what they do good stuff man we'll talk soon thanks mike see ya all right, my thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash track for 40% off that first year subscription. And please check out dynastyowner.com for your dynasty fantasy football needs. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Giannetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Track Podcast. 